Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The greatest F1 team. Hello and welcome to part two of a very special seven part series where we've asked the question, what would the lineup of the greatest ever F1 team look like? From race engineer to team principal, lead driver to chief designer, and even the rarely coveted number two driver position, we've set out to build the greatest F1 team that there has ever been. Our in-house panel of experts across motorsport.com, autosport and GP racing have all picked individuals throughout history that they believe are the greatest of all time. And in this series, we're going to be discussing the careers and the worthiness of the individuals that have made it into the top three for each job role. And today I'm in very good company as on today's panel, I'm joined by Ben Anderson, Giorgio Piola and Jake Boxall-Leck. And as our engineering and design experts, you are going to help me talk through who has made it as our chief designer. So Giorgio, why don't we kick things off firstly with what it takes to be a top chief designer in Formula One? Uh, chief designer usually is the man that has the idea that concentrated the job of everybody. But we have to do to tell something before going on with a discussion. Formula One has changed a lot uh, during my career. I started in 1969, so I, start, I saw the beginning of the modern Formula One, uh, let's say, approach, uh, Formula One career, and also how they changed the team. Can you imagine, for example, the difference between a chief designer, technical director at the, in the 70s, even the 80s, was not so separate because there was very few people when I start, for example, first time I visited uh, Williams uh, Racing, 
I went to the, uh, let's say, factory. It was a small garage, a very small garage. And the technical office was outside of the garage in a roulotte, a drawing table and three seats. Only Patrick Head, Frank Derny, and Neil Lotley. These three guys that was doing all the job. And okay, at that time already, Patrick Head was the coordinator. So if you want, was the technical director. But there was only three people. Can you imagine now how different it is? Because we are talking about hundreds of people. So the role of a technical director is completely different and completely separate from the role of a chief designer. What key attributes do you think does it take to be a chief designer? Maybe, Jake, you can fill us in on some some key attributes. I think you need to have a fantastic appreciation of all of the engineering aspects and all of the physics and science required to make your car be the fastest one on track through, through aerodynamics, through thermodynamics, to get the best engine, to get the best outward body design all of these things have to come together in unison the chief design needs to be able to do that but they also need to be able to think creatively as well because you kind of have to sidestep all of these you know these physical phenomena uh, that are that exist a chief design has to sort of think yeah how can i use that to pursue the agenda i want to pursue with that car so you need to have a very good scientific mind but also crucially a creative one as well they're all very important attributes that I think all three of our finalists have had to have in abundance. So why don't we have a chat about the man who came in third place in our vote? And it's someone who has gone on from Formula One uh, to then work in wider road car design. And that is, of course, Gordon Murray. Now, Murray has won world championships at Brabham and McLaren and has some had some pretty iconic designs I think it's safe to say he was of course responsible for the Brabham fan car and also involved it with the MP4-4 and I mean that's just those two on their own that's that's some CV isn't it isn't it Ben? Murray seems to me perhaps the the peakiest of the uh, the names on our list in terms of uh, his career and um, the fan car you mentioned of course um a car of his design carrying Nelson Piquet to the 83 World Championship, um, the first turbo uh, engine world championship. Um, and of course, the McLaren MP44, um, arguably the most dominant Formula One car in a Formula One season ever. Um, obviously, he was a co-designer of that car and some of the lineages disputed. Um, but yeah, a real maverick, I think, um, uh, and someone who's left uh, an indelible mark on the sport. Gordon Murray was not only a genius because of, with this idea, because as Ben was saying, he made some fantastic car, some revolutionary car, but also was a great human being. Like these people, we have to remember, I live in Formula One from uh, 50 years, and I have to say that these people are not only wonderful engineers, but also very interesting people to talk, very full of humanity. And Gordon Murray was really a very genius. It was fantastic, the mix with music and technicality of Formula One. Can you imagine, in his office, there was in McLaren, when I went to visit him, when he joined McLaren, before doing the MP4 with Steve Nichols, there was a big, huge jukebox. He was listening music, and the starting grid, now everybody we see concentrating and looking in the data and looking at the telemetry, he was always listening music beside Nelson Piquet in the last race when he won the championship for Brabham. 
and he was relaxing listening to music. So he was a wonderful man talking about paintings, about everything. And it was really fantastic. And these people are really great human beings. Do you think that influenced the way he designed, Giorgio? Yes, I believe so, because he had always a lot of fantasy. And if you want also the idea, okay, the idea of the fan car was taken by uh, Jimmy Chaparral uh, cars, but the idea was really very innovative. Also, if it was totally illegal, demonstrating that the car won one race, then was banned. And uh, there was a, a wonderful story, if I can do if I can a little bit go away from the technical point of view. When the, uh, the Federation came to check, uh, to scrutineer the, the fan car, Bernie Eccleston, and he told Bernie Eccleston some years ago, he told the story, so it's not a, a big secret, they, they knew that the car was illegal because at, at the run, the engine, the car was sucking down to the ground because there was no need of speed. There was no need of moving the car. So Bernie, one side, and Herbie Blash from the other side, put their foot under the skirt, lifting the skirt, so reducing the effect of sucking the air and making the ground effect the downforce. At the end of the test, the car was considered illegal, but Bernie and Herbie had the two feet completely blue because, of course, the weight of the car was really hitting their feet. The other car that we've mentioned is the is the MP44. What is it about the design of that car that, that makes it so iconic, do we think? Again, something very important. You see, when I, when I would talk, the Patrick Head, for me, was the master of everybody, because if you consider everybody start with him, he always used to say to me, Giorgio, a good engineer understands much more when he does some mistake than not when he does a winning car from the scratch. And Gordon Murray made uh, the Brabant, uh, the BT55, with the flat engine, very low position of the driver, very low uh, center of gravity, but it was too extreme and maybe built uh, with not enough money or technology, and the car was not very successful. But the idea behind that project, to have the low, uh, lower center of gravity, the driver laying down uh, much more than before, to reduce the height of the chassis, he kept and he gave as a principle for the new project that Stephen Nichols made for McLaren, the MP44. And we have to say that the, the MP44 is the daughter of that wrong Brabham. So at the end, it's very important because it shows that you can learn a lot from mistake if the idea behind the concept is good. He might not be our winner, but what, what do we think? Is it fair to say that he's he's potentially one of the most revolutionary designers in F1? Jake, what do you think? I think the way that Georgia has spoken about him in the way that he was able to learn from those mistakes. Um, but we must remember as well that he had a huge period of sustained, sustained success in the late 1970s and the early 80s. Um, back then, underbody aero wasn't so much of a thing we didn't really know so much about it but kind of the general idea was okay if you've got a low enough pressure underneath then you can create an absolute load of downforce and he did that with the fan car um and then he took that when ground effects were a thing and even though it was a lotus innovation brabham was a team that won a title in the 1980s towards the beginning of the 1980s lotus didn't do that and then when Grand Effects was banned at the end of 82, um, Gordon Murray said, OK, 
this now our side pods with the flat floor they're creating a load of lift if we make them smaller that then became the brand bt52 which is an absolutely gorgeous looking car uh, and it was very successful as well so yeah he was a revolutionary we're still at a time where we didn't understand aerodynamics so much and he was able to just sort of crack on and do that without you know perhaps pioneering so much but he was still able to take some of those designs that was pioneered by perhaps Lotus and, and, other com- uh, and other teams and just push them to the next level, really. You know, he joins Brabham and Brabham aren't really doing very much. They're in a bit of a rut and then gradually they become more and more competitive. And then even though in his later spell at Brabham, as Giorgio pointed out, you know, the team's fortunes plummeted and some of his ideas didn't quite work. They formed the seed for an idea that then elevated a McLaren team that was on its own journey of recovery after a difficult period to a whole new level, incredibly dominant level. And then he also uh, diversified off into uh, road cars and was you know, responsible for pioneering McLaren's uh, road car business, which now is a, a fundamental part of that uh, entire operation. And I think that's a running theme with this series. The, the people that we've that we've highlighted either as our, our final three or the, the person that's that's landed in the top spot, it's that point of difference that they've been able to achieve once entering a team or or that, that you can you can see the difference that they have brought, which is which is obviously something within Formula One that can make all of the difference. So Beating Murray in our experts' ranking, but missing out on the final team is another South African in the form of Rory Byrne. So he had success in his early F1 career with Tolman and then Benetton, winning drivers and constructors championships, obviously, in 94 and 95, um, and had actually briefly retired before Ferrari managed to lure him back to Maranello. And he played a major role in, in Schumacher's stunning run in the early in the early 2000s. Um, and he's also been back working at Ferrari as, as a design consultant, even now in his, in his 70s. And I, I guess that must show the esteem that he is held in. Yes, uh, Rory was again another genius with completely new ideas. But I have to say that Rory's success also has to be related with uh, Ross Brown coordinating him. Because Rory, for example, in the Benetton before, uh, before Ross, was always creating the car, looking in the aerodynamic wind tunnel till the very last moment and nearly for the first part of the season, the car were not very reliable because it was even too extreme. But of course, he's a, a great genius. And in Ferrari, made a big role. Uh, for example, the last uh, 2017 cars, I believe is, there is a lot of his idea in this car. And I remember there was a wonderful evening for me when they made the Autosport Awards uh, two years ago. I was sitting in the table with Patrick Head at the left, Gordon Murray at the right, and Rory Byrne. And I tell you, that was the most fantastic evening of my life. And you can imagine the, the kind of, uh, of fights, of talking, of anecdotes, the, the three together. And there were, I was in the middle of three genius of Formula One. I'm sorry that, of course, we have to choose three, but I would put also JB, John Barnard. John Barnard, again, is a very big genius. He invented a lot of stuff. And for me, uh, his personality was even more than Rory, because Rory, as I said, was also very good working with Ross. 
why JB, he was the man that made the MP4. He was the man that was able to win with the Porsche engine and giving the layout to, even to the Stuttgart people to make uh, the, the layout of the car much better. And he was the man that created the, the new stand, uh, uh, actual Formula One because he was the one that put the, the, the semi-automatic gearbox at the steering wheel. So, and he invented a lot of other stuff like the, all the torsion bar in the suspension. So for me, again, he's a big genius. Of course, it's now he's not in Formula One from long time, and maybe the people forget about him. But I do consider, especially as a genius, one of the top three. Yeah, I have to agree with Giorgio. I'd put Barnard in my personal top three for this ranking. Um, primarily because I have a massive soft spot for the 1995 Ferrari, which I think is one of the most gorgeous Formula One cars ever and was much more um, potent, I think, than it was made to look in its results. Um, but yes, um, also, um, it so happens that my father, who ran an air conditioning company before he retired, actually fitted out John Barnard's uh, Guildford offices when he was <laughs> really? working for Ferrari. Uh, so yeah, Barnard has a special sort of place in the Anderson family, if you like. Um, and yeah, as Giorgio pointed out, a very innovative designer, not necessarily the most successful, um, but a lot of these things can be down to timing and other things going on in structures. You know, Barnard's reticence to move to Maranello probably held him back in terms of Ferrari, um, but nevertheless, he produced some very, very significant uh, innovations uh, during his time in Formula One. And we have to remember, sorry, we have to remember that uh, Ferrari made by John Barnard in 90 could have won the championship if there was not the accident at the first corner in Suzuka. So his car, he was able to give to Ferrari a car that could win the championship. I guess we're going off off what we what we have in, in terms of the results. Jake, do you agree? Do you think we've missed a trick by not having um, Bernard? I agree on their points that he was an incredibly innovative engineer and he came up with a bunch of inventions, semi-automatic gearbox, for example, various things like that. But that does Rory Byrne such a discredit, I think, because although I agree with Giorgio in that you do have to count him and Ross Braun, I swear, not as a single entity, entity as such, but, you know, one was the fire and the other one was the ice. Um, Rory Byrne, a hugely, as I said at the top of the show, uh, you have to be a very creative individual to be a chief designer. And Rory Byrne was that, if not one of the most creative pioneers. You're, when he designed, you know, five championship winning Ferraris in a row, this comes at a time in the early 2000s when regulations were a lot more restrictive than perhaps they had been in the past and yet he was able to every single time design a new car that was some way ahead of everybody else um at benetton as well um hugely hugely successful um we must remember that he was part of uh reynard's abortive formula one project where a lot of that benetton sort of design influence came from um he brought that over and, you know, it was a, a couple of years old in the pipeline by then. But um, that Reynard design sort of served the basis for that. And Benetton was massively successful in 94 and 95. Um, so he has had success across sort of not two different eras as such, but, you know, two sort of very different time periods. And, yeah, he was part of that Braun, uh, Bern, Schumacher sort of triumvirate, if you like. So, yeah, hugely, hugely talented designer indeed. 
And obviously, most of the panel agrees with you, Jake, because he did come in at number two, but he's not quite made the final team as the man that we've chosen for our chief designer in our Formula One team is probably unsurprisingly none other than Adrian Newey. And and given his track record at Williams, McLaren, and obviously most recently with Red Bull, was anybody surprised by his position at top of our list? Not at all, for sure. If we have to say just one, Adrian Newey is the number one. Because as you said, he was able to give world champion cars in three different teams, okay, in Williams, under Patrick Head as a technical director, in McLaren being also technical director, and in Red Bull, so for sure. And he's the most innovative. I have to say, honestly, the last big, big emotion that I had watching a car, a new car, because of the launch of the car for me is always the most emotional moment of the season, was one in 90, 2009, it was the RB5. While I was not so shocked and surprised by the Bronze GP that won the championship, but the Bronze GP won the championship only about the trick of the double diffuser. But the car that was a milestone, the car that was totally innovative, the car that is the mother of all the Formula One car at this moment was the RB5 from Adrian Newey. Newey's the gold standard, isn't he? Um, and he remains so to this day. Um, you know, so many race wins, I think over 160 race wins um, for cars that he's had a hand in. Uh, 10 constructors, world championships across different eras as well. Incredible success with Williams, some with McLaren, although, you know, the McLaren period wasn't as successful as maybe it could have been. Um, obviously, he went there to become a technical director. And this um, ties in with what Giorgio was saying earlier about how some of these roles have started to shift as time has gone on. Um, but then incredible success at Red Bull, um, where, you know, he's found his kind of spiritual home, I guess, in, in the modern era, um, given more creative freedom, more license to explore other projects, you know, a lot of these guys are very artistic. We're talking about very technical things, precise engineering and physics and what have you. But a lot of the, the best people in these positions have a creative flair. And certainly Newey has that in abundance. Um, and he's still there kind of mopping up whenever I know in his chief technical officer role, you know, there's a team under him that um, tends to take most responsibility for Red Bull's design um, season to season, particularly in the hybrid era. But whenever they've run aground or run into to trouble, he's the guy that comes in and, and helps them fix those problems. Um, he's still the one you want in your team. Um, if you don't have him, Ferrari made a massive pitch to try and sign him in 2014 uh, when they were struggling and restructuring and he, you know, he turned them down. Um, he's the guy you want. And if we're building a, a dream F1 team, he's the guy we've got to have. Uh, if I may, I'm going to sound very, very pretentious by saying this, but it's a quote from the Swedish economist uh, Bent Holmström, which is, creativity is born from challenges, limitations and questions. You have so many people saying today that Formula One is far too restrictive and it's impossible for designers to innovate and create such designs to sort of the extent that you would in the 60s and 70s when we were discovering things for the first time. But Adrian Newey takes those limitations and he looks at them in a completely different way to other people um he doesn't just look at the regulations and go okay how can i build a car to suit those regulations he says how can i build a car to satisfy the regulations but can sidestep from every conceivable opportunity because at the end of the day i just want to create the fastest car um 
and and he's done so so many times his successes span for different decades um so the march 881 for example okay perhaps it wasn't the most successful car outright but it was the little car that could back in the 1980s uh in the 90s uh, a swathe of hugely successful williamses and then moving to mclaren and more success there and then uh his move to rebel as well which sort of triggered a sustained period of dominance for for essentially what is an energy drinks manufacturer so he was just able to you know completely paint a different style to what everybody else does um and yet the the fact that he's the only contemporary designer to still use a drawing board i suppose in some ways that's a little bit of anachronism but it's just the way that he sort of does things differently to other people Georgia, you still use a drawing board, right? Yeah, but I have to say even more because Adrian, you see very often, and the last time that I saw doing so much in the garage, he's standing inside the garage when the practice are on with the notebook and he's doing sketches. He's looking at the car like if he wanted to make an X-ray of the car and maybe comes out with a small detail and you see immediately as he finished the detail, he takes the paper, he gives to Bob Marshall or to some other engineer in the team, they go immediately sending to, to England, to the factory. It's so creative that even on the starting grid, you can find very often Adrian Newey looking even at the worst car in the field, because even the worst car in the field can give him some idea to improve his uh, Red Bull. And he does very often the joke to me that when he crossed me, when he passed beside me, he turns a little bit the notebook saying, Giorgio, do you like to see? No, and then he returned back not to show me. And uh, it's wonderful. His way of making drawing in 3D by freehand is fantastic, I tell you. And I believe, I hope he will stay doing Formula One, not becoming a journalist. Otherwise, I will be finished because it's fantastic, his way of drawing. And what do we think, where has he had the most influence, do we think? Would it be at Red Bull because the team hadn't had success really before <laughs> his influence was, was felt? What, what is his crowning glory, do we think? For me, I repeat again, the RB5 and then all the following Red Bull because he created completely something different. Because again, the Williams was still an evolution of the previous Leighton House, of the previous car that he made. Uh, okay, there was very refined. Then there was uh, the combination with the active suspension uh, followed by P- Paddy Lowe, another guy that started to, to come in Formula One with the Patrick Head. And, uh, and, but the RB5 was really a milestone, completely different from what we saw before and the starting of a new era of Formula One. For, so if I have to choose a car for him, I will choose the RB5. If I had to choose on looks, then I would pick the the 90s Williams. But I agree with Giorgio, um, and particularly because the Red Bull success comes in, as Jake was mentioning earlier, a period of much heavier regulatory restriction. So to be able to innovate in the way Newey has and uh, propel a team to such a period of dominance in an era where it's much harder to find those gaps in the regulations, that stands out for me. Now everybody realised, because we said so many times, the most important thing when there are new regulations is not to read carefully uh, and apply all the rules or the restrictions, but to read what is not forbidden, what is not mentioned. 
what at the end we call the gray area. And this is the, the fantastic job of, of Radio New. He's always able to pick up a little hole in the regulation, something that is not defined, something that is not written. And this is where you have to try to find to make the difference from everybody else. Yeah, they usually say in racing that uh, if it doesn't say you can do it, it means you can't. But everyone knows in racing and particularly in Formula One, that's just nonsense. Yeah. That is one of the brilliant sides of Formula One. It's, it's the is the regulation chasing that we saw a little bit of that at testing before everything went into shutdown. Obviously, with the with the DAS system that everyone got a bit excited about. Uh, because you're right, we, it's it's rare nowadays that we see hugely hugely innovative uh, design work and engineering work. But Jake, just finishing with with you, uh, do you agree with 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 the other two? Is is the RB five uh, and everything that followed Nui's best work, or is there anything else that sticks out for you? I think I agree with that. I just want to give a shout out to the uh, McLaren MP413 from 1998. Um, that was the first year of the the narrow track car um, that moves, you know, the front wheels in quite a considerable amount, and it really changed the way that the cars worked aerodynamically. And Adrian Nui was one of these people say to look at the regulations go. Mm, these don't really work for me. How can I make the regulations or bend to my will, if you like? Um, and he talks about it in his book quite comprehensively, um, the way that he was able to use these sorts of various dimensions uh, prescribed by the regulations, Go, but I'll just do them as fins because it only says it has to be like this side on. It doesn't have to be like this, you know, from the front. So as long as that, work, as long as that satisfies the regulation, then I'm, I, I'm good to do it. And that car was uh, a phenomenally good car. Um, and although his sort of McLaren success kind of maybe didn't live up to that so much after, uh, afterwards, um, I think what he did at McLaren sort of laid the groundwork for what he wanted to do at Red Bull. He worked out what autonomy he had and what he didn't. And then when he went to Red Bull, um, after a period of sort of fact-finding and figuring it out, um, he worked out what he needed to create you know, a breed of fantastically dominant cars. I don't think that there are going to be many people that are going to be disputing our decision to place Nui as our chief designer. So that's our second member of the F1's greatest team in the bag with Adrian Nui. Joining, uh, and he joins our race engineer, Pete Bonington, so far. So next up, we're going to reveal our sporting director. And it's someone who has never worked with either men that we have solidified in our team before. But until then, we'll see you next time for the next episode of The Greatest F1 Team. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me, and we'll see you next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. 
Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's Sentence Clarity Rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.